Brian, did you see Revenge of the Sith? Yeah, I saw part of it. Why does Emperor Palpatine have a desk? Huh? In that scene where Yoda comes in and they're about to have that big fight, Emperor Palpatine clearly gets up from his desk. I mean, I'm just saying, what does he, what does he need a desk for? Who the hell cares? I'm just saying, it's weird. I mean, I mean, what, like, what was he doing at his desk, like, right before Yoda walked in? What was he doing? Was he doing paperwork? Was he like, oh, Yoda, what do you need, and will it take longer than five minutes? I am absolutely swamped. These requisition forms for new TIE fighters have to be down to Debbie in accounting by six, or Newt Gunray is going to pitch a tent in my waiting room. Episode 48 <laughs> Catherine revved up the microwave, I'd piss my pants and forget who I was for a half hour or so. It's 30 minutes away. I'll be there in 10. I'll be there in 10. Is this a five-minute argument or a full half hour? You have 30 minutes to move your car. Your car. You have 30 minutes to move your cube. Your cube. You are listening to A Half Hour Wasted. Now legal in all 50 states. And now, here are your hosts, Brad Milo and Frank A. Rincon. Hi, everyone, and welcome to A Half Hour Wasted. This week, Brad and I went to the Dallas Comic-Con, and we met up with several forum members. Uh, artist June Bob Kim was there, his friend Sean, and our buddy Bob Heine. Brad wasn't able to show up until later due to family commitments, so majority of these interviews are done by me, Frank. And I do need to apologize because the audio is a little hot at times. This is um, me learning how to use a new recorder we have, so I apologize for that. After you listen to the interviews, if there's any artist you are interested in uh, getting more inf- information from, please check our show notes on our webpage, halfhourwasted.com, and we'll have links to everyone we've interviewed. So sit back and relax. Enjoy. And in front of me, I have Christian Donaldson, artist on Supermarket, DMZ, and some other things. How are you? Good. Okay, so I've always been a big fan of your style. It's very unique. Even the color palette's pretty unique. Let's talk about the... Let's go into style and in color. Um, how would you define your style? Uh... Oh, that's, <laughs> that's a lot to sum up, but uh, I, I, I like to draw from a lot of uh, influences from, you know, all over the place, from classic, you know, deco artwork to modern industrial design. I, I mean, if I had to sum it up, I would say it's, 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 it's a modern style, but uh, still, it's still changing. It's evolving. I, I don't know if I could sum it up. But. You know, it, it has almost, to me, has almost a vintage, a vintage style, but it's still very modern. Would you agree? Is that, am I on track with that? No, absolutely. I mean, uh, there, there's a range of things that influence me from, uh, you know, 60s French movie posters to penguin book covers from the 80s and all kinds of weird stuff. And, and uh, I would say, you know, the use of solid blocks of color and, and old school texture and like screen tone and stuff can, can kind of lend a uh, sensibility that might have a kind of a, a vintage character. But uh, as far as uh, sub and then the overall design, I, I kind of like to lean towards the modern. You know, I like it when you said the um, the '60s movie poster because I think that's like the perfect example of your of your work. Um, it almost, you know, looking at your stuff, it's like looking to me at, at like a Wes Anderson movie. I, that, that's how I kind of kind of view your your stuff. What about the colors? How do you um, how do you choose? Do you do your own coloring, and how do you choose the color? I I, uh, I, I definitely do my own coloring whenever possible. Uh, sometimes you don't you don't get 
get you don't get the option, but whenever whenever possible, I try to keep hands on completely. I I'm not entirely sure how my how my approach evolved. I I, I know that I, I I got a lot of help. I, I learned how basically how to color properly for comics uh, from a guy by the name of Lee Lowrich, who uh, is an amazing colorist. He uh, he he colors a lot of different stuff for for Vertigo. I mean, pretty much yeah, you go to the stands and and pretty much you'll find half a dozen you know amazing books from him at any given time. Because uh, yeah, because he used like a lot of music kind of soft colors um, I almost want to say pastels am I wrong in that well I try to I, I try to to color in a way that it services the, the the tone and then I like to just hit you over the head with it like with just with just uh, you know out of nowhere a full bright you know, value of, of like any I don't know some crazy color but uh, I, I, I don't know I mean I, I try to uh, I, I, I don't really know what I'm doing half the time it just kind of <laughs> I don't know no, I, I I know that I, I definitely have a, an end result that that is uh, I, 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 that I'm pleased with, but I, I never know what I'm gonna do when I sit down to color a piece. It it, it really takes on a life of its own. Um, so so you've worked on DMZ and Supermarket. Are you still working on DMZ? What are you working on now? Uh, right now I'm working on a book called 99 Days. Uh, it's I'll, I can't really say too much about it except that it's going to be an original graphic novel, 175 pages, uh, coming out sometime in 2000. I'm working on it right now, and uh, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a really cool book. It's a kind of a more gritty crime drama, different than anything I've ever done. It's the first thing I've ever done that is set in the real world. You know, set in a, a setting that is not near future, uh, where there's you know there's no there's no supernatural or super heroic elements. It's just straight up straight up crime. I've been watching watching a lot of The Wire, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, watching a lot of uh, you know. Like crime movies set in LA and stuff like that, and getting getting putting my noir cap on and just trying to do something that's authentic. Crime noir sounds nice. I think, and that's a good fit for you. I think it's gonna look great. Cool, thank you. Okay, well, uh, what's your website? My website is uh, prodigal9.com, and that is prodigal like prodigal son, and uh, nine spelled out N I N E. So P R O D I G A L N I N E dot com. And we'll put that on our website. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks for taking your time out. Bye. And here I'm talking to novelist Paul Black. Paul, thanks for joining us. Great to be here. <laughs> okay, so you're an author. Tell me about your series of books. Yeah, it's a near-future techno-thriller series. Uh, the Dallas Morning News said I was Minority Report meets X-Files. I think nice. that's a pretty good, yeah, it's a pretty good, pretty good analogy for it. And it's about a guy's quest. Uh, it, basically, he discovers he has the ability that could change the world. Yeah. Really? Can you go into more detail? Well, yeah, he uh, has the ability to manipulate matter with his mind, and he actually has the ability to manipulate gravity. And there are others on the planet that uh, are like him, and he discovers kind of a secret culture underneath the, the regular culture we all exist in. And it takes place about 80 years in the future, so there's a little bit of everything in it for everyone. You know, How many books are in the series so far? There's three right now. The first book came out about five years ago, and the third book is out in stores right now in Barnes & Noble's Nationwide. Great, and who's a publisher? He's published through Novel Instincts Publishing. Okay, and I guess you feel that it's a, because we're at a Comic Con right now, I guess you kind of, it, it kind of focuses on, a, or or the inner geeks will, will, will like it, uh, or will dig the t- story. Yeah, we've had really great success in the in the folks who attend comic con, you know conventions and the, the side cons and all that, because it deals a lot in science fiction and near future techno, you know, issues, but it's not real heavy-handed 
argument. You know, it's about it's about a guy's struggle with the ability that he, he discovers that he has. But it's also set in the future, so you have to kind of deal with all those. You know, what will the world be like 80 years from now? So it's real interesting. Um, so what's your interest? Do you, what movies do you like? What authors do you like? Yeah, my, one of my favorite authors is William Gibson, who's the kind of the father of cyberpunk and created the, the that, that whole genre of, of fiction. And um, you know, the new Blade Runner is out now, and I, I just got that. That's a fabulous new version of it. And um, I like the cyberpunk, you know, genre. Although some folks say it's dead, I think it's still alive and kicking. We see it in media and films and books still, you know. Uh, how about TV shows? Where are you into? You know, I, I, I really like uh, Battlestar Galactica. I think it's very well written, very well produced. Um, the fact the new Razor was out, and I, I just I TV'd that and watched that, and it's just, man, you can't beat it for its production value. So good. You know, they've really changed that franchise around from being a campy show in the 70s to what it is now. Yeah, I mean, it's totally serious and totally kind of above the, the whole genre. It's, it's really refreshing to see at least, you know, satellite TV or cable go that way. It's great. Okay, well, Paul, thanks a lot. Now, um, books can be picked up either online or on Bar- Barnes & Noble, right? Right. You can, you can get them at Barnes & Noble's uh, nationwide, and you can get them also through my author site at paulblackbooks.com. Great. Thanks great. a lot, Paul. Thanks. Okay, so I got Steve Niles right here. Steve, how are you? I'm good. I'm having a great day. Great. Okay, so 30 Days of the Night. Uh, Criminal Macabre and Simon Dark. And Simon Dark, is, is that your creation? Yeah, that's my creation. It's a it's a creator owned book that uh, Scott Hampton and I and we're sharing the creator on it because he designed the whole look and the art. Uh, it's creator owned for DC in Gotham City, so it's an it's kind of an experiment for everybody. Now that's that's pretty awesome. Now how, I mean, how did this all come about? Did you pitch the idea to DC or did it just happen? I had pitched the idea as just an original idea, and I was gonna I figure I'd either place it in a fictional city or put him in LA or New York or something like that. And it was uh, my editor Joey Cavalieri said. You know, why don't you put him in uh, in Gotham? And I was like, that's like adding a whole new character. I mean, it's like, wow, you know, there's so much history there. I couldn't resist, so I picked a little neighborhood because the story just takes place in like a eight block eight block radius, you know, right now. So it, I love it. I absolutely love it. That the only thing that's driving me nuts is now everybody thinks Batman's going to show up any day. <laughs> now I'm I'm not familiar with the character, so tell me who is Simon Dark? Well, that's what we're finding out. That's the thing about the character doesn't even know who he is. We're, what we've learned so far is that he's made up, all we know is he's made up of other people. He's made up of body parts. And uh, he doesn't seem to have a real firm understanding about the world around him. And it's sort of, so the mystery is, the, it's, it's for everybody. The readers and the character. Everybody's trying to find out who he is. Is it ongoing? Ongoing, yes. Great. Okay, so what other, do you do any other work for DC or is this set right now? Um, the biggest thing coming up is I just signed a contract with DC. Me and Kelly Jones are doing a book called Batman Gotham After Midnight starting in June and we're doing a year we're doing 12 issues so that's really exciting can you talk about the uh, highlights of that story the storyline the storyline no but what I can tell you is we're guaranteed to have a new villain as in one of his featured gallery villains one per issue we're going to oh, keep okay. it you know once it's when the new movie comes out something people can grab pick up and 
enjoy the single issue, but at the same time, there will be a 12-issue story arc that you can also enjoy. Now, did you, when it comes to the writing of 30 Days of Night, were you involved with the with the script writing at all? Uh, absolutely, yeah. I did the first, like, three or four drafts of the screenplay. And then Stu Beatty came on and did one. And then when we finally got a director, which, as it turns out, that's the only way a movie ever gets on track. Once David came on, he hired his friend uh, Brian Nelson, who just, he took what me and Stuart did and really made it into a tight script, so... So are you part of so are you part of Reiner's Union? Are you oh, yeah. tick, so you're on strike? I'm on strike right now. <laughs> yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, you know, uh, I got to go back to picketing on Monday, and you know, I'm sort of doing I, I do my comic writing one day and try to get out and picket the next, and you know, I know I'm really lucky. There aren't very many writers who have optional ways to make money, so you know, I'm hoping this thing ends really soon because it's going on way too long. So I don't know. All I know is that there is a strike. Can you give me some of the highlights? Like what uh, what are they fighting for? Uh, what do the writers want? Well, right now, it's really simple. There's all this new media. The last time we tried to bargain with them for a, a share in the things we create was back in the 80s, and they basically said, you know, that's a beta beta VHS debate was going on, and they, we signed a temporary contract to just let, you know, well, wait. So now it's 20, 30 years later. We don't have a good contract. We don't get a cut of DVD. We don't get a cut of uh, internet. We don't get a cut of a lot of ways that they're making money, and the CEOs are on TV, basically you know, talking to their stockholders going, we're making billions on the internet, and then turning out telling us they're not making anything. It's promotion. So, but what it boils down to, we are asking for two and a half cents. On the dollar? On, no, per unit. Not oh my gosh. Per, per unit. So, we're not asking for much. So, this is, is pure corporate greed. You know, just greedy, greedy people not wanting to give, give you know, the people who created the stuff their share. So I understand that the directors, their contract comes up later on this year. And there is talk that maybe there might be some uh, some double teaming. Like, well, they, first of all, directors can't do anything because there's no writers. But there's a possibility, right? There's a very good possibility, you know. And also SAG, the actors are coming up in there. And, yeah, we need to get this mess cleaned up. We just need to get everybody's, you know, everybody's making a lot more money. And, you know, I mean, it's in different areas. Some stuff's dropped, but there's more money in other areas. So we just need to figure that out and get everybody a fair cut. And then we can all get back to work. It's so ridiculous. The money we're losing is ten times the money they'd have to pay out, you know, so it's ridiculous. So it's a matter of pride, at least on the other end? You know, I would love to know what it is. You know, my thing, I'm guessing it's corporate, because I can't figure out why anybody with a soul would act like this, or a heart, you know, because people are losing their homes now, because people can't, you know, the people who are out there picketing are unemployed right now, so they can't cover their mortgages, and people are starting to lose lose stuff now. I mean, we're we're packing, we're probably going to have to move into a smaller place, at least, you know, just for now, because L.A., Hollywood, just frozen. Well, man, I want to thank you for your time. Good luck to you and your colleagues, and, uh, and I hope you the best. I think you need to go ahead and ask Mr. Steve now, see if he knows who Brad is, because he looks like <laughs> skinnier, ha- more handsome version of uh, Brad Milo. <laughs> uh, Brad Milo is a co-host on A Half Hour Wasted. And I'm a skinnier, handsome version? <laughs> Brad will love to hear that. This is <laughs> And this is Gene Bob Kim next to me. Thanks, Steve. Thank you so much. Okay, so I'm talking to uh, Kyle, Kyle Slayton. Um, Kyle, I want to ask you, I was on your website the other night, and I saw you had a list, or you had a picture of some of your uh, Christmas presents. <laughs> you had Shazam, the Monster Society, and some other things. Uh, did you have a good Christmas haul? Uh, I always have a good Christmas. Uh, 
As you can see, there's like always books, always movies and music. There's hardly ever anything else. So I always have a good stash until probably about spring or so that I can go th- that I can burn through for a while. Now I've I've always been a big fan of your of your uh, of your work. You know, I would call it a real clean clean lines and stuff. But could you describe it for me? How would you describe your style? Um, a bit animated looking, like you said, clean. I think is a is a good word because I, I try to you know limit the lines that I use. Try to simplify things. You know, take a lot of uh, things from like Bruce Tim and Shane Glines and those guys that that uh, you know know how to break something down to sort of its essence and. Uh, kind of poppy, I guess would be a nice word too. What are you working on these days? I just finished a script for a graphic novel called Spooky Town, and I hope to start drawing it, which is kind of daunting because it's about eighty-seven pages. So, <laughs> hopefully, by you know, fingers crossed, by the end of the year, I can you know be pretty much done with it and try shopping it around. No, it's kind of it's kind of early in the in the, uh, in the con today, and you're working on stuff. Have you gotten any any funny requests for uh, for sketches? Uh, not funny. Just every, every once in a while, I'll get people with their own characters. You know, usually it's like, you know, Superman, you know, Wolverine, Catwoman, but we've had a couple already today where people have their own characters and, uh, you know, have sketches of them already to, to show me, you know, what they look like. So that's always interesting. Okay, cool. Well, all right, great talking to you. And uh, what's your website? Uh, it's calslayton.com. Great, Cal. Thanks for your time. And right here I'm talking with David Hopkins, author of Astronaut Dad, among other things. David, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? They work with Brent Schoonover on that. That was the artist, but you were the writer. Yes, Brent did a wonderful job on Astronaut Dad. Great guy. Now, let me ask you. So I just, I read it, uh, I met you at Wizard World originally. I yeah. uh, just finished reading it, and the story's got a real kind of sweetness to it, but what, in, what inspired the story? There were a few things that inspired it. I mean, one was just a basic love of astronaut culture during the early 1960s. You know, things like The Right Stuff by Tom Wolfe. Even a little bit of Fantastic Four. There was sort of that, that optimistic sort of family type story that went into it. Uh, I think one of the things also was telling a little bit of the story of my own family, uh, but doing it in the context of this astronaut story. You know, where my dad, he was a great guy, but he was always very busy. And, you know, growing up as a kid, how do you deal with that? Well, you know what? Uh, when you said Fantastic Four, like a light went off. I was like, oh, now I I see. I totally see that. That's awesome. Okay, so this is obviously a part one. Part two is coming soon, hopefully? Yes, part two is coming out this summer. Uh, Brent's working on it right now. We just got the script back. Uh, Nunzio DeFilippis and Christina Weir, who uh, wrote New Mutants for a while, they do a lot of work with Oni, they've been helping to edit the book. So they've been invaluable. They just finished looking at the script for volume two, and Brent's been working on that right now. Now, now i got to ask you, size of the book you chose, it's smaller than, it's a, I love love digest size, but it's smaller than the digest. Still works, but why that size? Well, uh, it's Archie Comics sized, and we kind of wanted it, the original intention was to get it about the same size as the Oni books that, they'll do short Oni books that are about six bucks, and we were really just trying to get the price kind of in that range. But when we saw and looked at it, we both kind of realized at the same time that it was Archie Comic digest size, and so there was something kind of fun about that size. I don't know what it is, but it fits really well in the hand. And no, it fits. It fits perfectly. I lo- I love those sizes. I know some people like oh, I like the big size. I like the, I love to be able to hold it, take it, put it in my bag, and stuff like that. And again, that's brilliant. Saying it's that Archie Digest size, it just it it fits in so well. That's great. Yeah, I don't know if we really planned it that way, but now that it came out, we're going to tell everyone that we did. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm not 
familiar with a lot of your work. So what else have you done? Uh, well, I've done Karma Incorporated, which is a story about a group of con artists that get paid to ruin people's day. And we're actually, the first volume's already out. The second volume's coming out this year. Wonderful artist named Tom Krasansky. Emily Edison, which is my, sort of my toe in the water in the whole superhero genre. It's like everything. Everything I do has a little bit of a family angle to it. And this one's an interdimensional custody battle with <laughs> Emily kind of stuck in the middle. And then Antigone... I did an adaptation of that Greek tragedy, which Antigone really is sort of the quintessential dysfunctional family story. You know, you get the story of Oedipus who killed his dad and married his mom, and then Antigone is the daughter of that relationship. It, it was a fun story to dig into because um, it's kind of nice working with other people's stories and seeing what your take can be on that. Awesome. Well, great. And what's your web- website? Uh, website is antiherocomics.com, and I have lots of preview art and things about all my upcoming projects on there. And I gotta ask, you went with the Courier font on your webpage. I kind of dig that. Any, uh, any any reason why? I think I know why, but any reason why? Um, believe it or not, I was looking at Miranda July's website. She is a novelist and filmmaker and she used the Courier and so I was kind of copying her. <laughs> it, it just feels like because there's that, there's that caricature of you at a typewriter yeah. and it just I thought, oh, that's perfect. That's great. You know, uh, That's what a writer needs is that kind of look. <laughs> well, the Courier font is sort of like the token font of filmmakers and novelists. It's that typewriter look. And it's nice, particularly if you're not writing a lot of text. I think it reads very well. Great. All right. Thanks for your time. Uh, thank you. Okay, guys. So we're on the floor of the uh, the Dallas Comic Con. I'm with a couple of the forum members here. I got June Bob. Say hello, June. Hello. And I got Bob Heine. Bob, say hello. Hello. And Sean. Sean, I don't know your last name, but Sean. Orms. Sean Orms. Hello. Hello. And finally, Brad finally made it in. How's your daughter? How's, how was your daughter's game? Uh, she did good. She got a basket. It's the first time I've ever actually seen her make a basket in a, in a ball game. She, she was in the basketball game uh, today. She was so happy about it. It was good. Now, Brad, what do you got under your arm right there? I found the Amazing Spider-Man Omnibus Volume 1, the big honker. You could block traffic with this thing. every show now? I got it for $50, which is 50% off. 50%. Now, that's a Marvel product, Brad. Well, I'm not mad at Marvel. I'm mad at Joe Quesada. I can separate the two. Okay. By the way, this is big enough to knock any little Korean guy out. <laughs> Speaking of which? Which, uh, that is not one book that I actually wanted to buy. So, he did not steal that from me this time. Now, Bob, are you? Uh, is there anything you're looking for today on the floor? Are you just here to hang out or you want to buy something? Uh, just browsing today, Frank. Just taking it easy. I'm bringing my son tomorrow and then we'll be splurging. Okay. Anything Anything? on your uh, roster that you want to get? No, we're just beefing up the Star Wars collectibles. Basically reinventing myself through my son. (laughs) Okay. Now, Sean, what brings you here? Uh, I came here for to get a Bob Layton piece of art. It's awesome. Which I'm uh, I'm shy about talking to. I haven't. I've, I've yet to approach him. Most, shy or scared? He's he's a scary, scary man. Is he, is he do Is he doing sketches? I don't know. Is he doing sketches? Twenty five dollars. Twenty five. I'd love to get a Bob Layton sketch in my sketchbook. Tell you what. Why don't Brad? Brad, why don't you and I go over there? You can get a sketch, and then maybe I can approach him with an interview because I don't really know who he is. I know he's an artist, but that way I can. All I know, these guys gave me the lowdown, the four one one on him. So I know he had something to do with Valiant. He invented Valiant. 
He invented Valiant? Did he really? Yeah. Is that the right terminology? No, he molded. No, he uh, he baked Valiant. No, I think the term was that he reared 40 Valiant artists. Reared? That's not good. There's a joke in there somewhere. We know there is. Bob Layton was, a, was most famous for Iron. his work on Iron Man, was he not? Yeah, yes. long run with David Michelini. In fact, we had a panel on Iron Man today. I uh, missed it. Missed it because, you know, family first and all that. Family first. That's the way to go. So here we have uh, Bob Layton. Bob, how are you? I, I'm doing well. I'm, it's really good to be back in Dallas. It's been ni- since 1988, last time I was here. So That long? Wow. Yeah, it really has. Been, but I, I enjoy meeting with the family. Well, let's talk about um, your Valiant days. Uh, what do you remember fo- most fondly about Valiant? I, I think more than anything, besides the fact uh, uh, the characters themselves, of course, was the, the camaraderie, I think, that we had as a, as a family, as a creative family. The, the people, uh, even in the administrative line of work, right down to people in Knob Row. I mean, everybody kind of hung out together. We worked together in one big studio, which is something you just that isn't done anymore. And uh, in fact, I just got together with a bunch of the Valiant guys in New York, like in November, and it, it's amazing. It's like a class reunion. I mean, uh, the closeness. Most of those people were friends then are still friends now. So I, I take it really special time. I mean, probably something you, well, something you don't see today anymore because everything's all contracted out. Yeah, you, you, I, I think it's one of those kind of magic times that won't, we, won't, we probably won't see again. But uh, I, I, when I was coming up through the ranks, um, I was always told about the old studio systems, you know, that they had in the 50s, where all these great artists used to work together and create stuff. And so when we started out Valiant, my idea was to recreate that in a sense, you know, using the young talents and established pros and so they can kind of feed off each other and they can learn while on the job and at the same time uh, we could guide them and everything. It worked out really great, you know, and so many of them went on to have really brilliant careers too, so made me very happy. Now, I know you're most known for your, for your Iron Man run on Marvel, but I'm not that familiar with it. Can you tell me how you got started with Iron Man? I uh, did Iron Man, uh, I did about 97 issues of Iron Man with David Michelini from the late 70s uh, to the mid-80s. We're, we're usually credited as the, the people that, that, you know, revitalized the series. You know, we, most of the stuff that you see today is an offshoot of the, stu- the, the things that we brought to the series or whatever. And uh, and I'm very proud of that. You know, that's why, uh, you know, like I said, I, I run what essentially is an Iron Man website now, you know, for the most part. Because, you know, those fans have stuck with me throughout the years. You know, I mean, they've really been great. And, and now with the uh, renewed interest in the character with the movie and everything coming out, I find myself back at Iron Man, you know, doing Iron Man again for Marvel with the two of the two limited series they have coming out. I was going to ask that. Is, is two limited series? Yeah, there's a, a Iron Man Legacy of Doom, which is the third part of our Camelot trilogy. As of those pages are there. Um, that project will come out weekly in April for Marvel, and then uh, just before the movie, and then there's Iron Man The End, which is the last Iron Man story, which we'll be, we'll be releasing after the film. Now, who, else, who else would do that story, the end story? Well, that's right. It's, it's got to be us. You know, I mean, we, we started the whole ball rolling. We should finish it. You know, so that's, you know, and, and Marvel does too. So uh, we're in the process of working on that now. You know, so we're, 
that should come out sometime after the film. Does this uh, Iron Man Doom, does that take place, is that a separate continuity or is it? It is out of continuity. It's back into our continuity. Okay, okay. You know, because one of the re- reasons why is we wanted to do a compilation book with all, all three Camelot things, but we really felt like if we did, this Tony Stark is not our Tony Stark right. now. And we kind of felt like if, for all of them to tie in properly, we needed to, to keep it somewhat in our old continuity. So it's uh, it's a flashback story of an event that happened that Merlin erased from Tony Stark's memory. And it, when he's in the process of uh, destroying one of his old armors, he finds logs of something that he d- does have no memory of occurring, which causes him to like start looking back. And there's a reason why Merlin does it all to him. But that way it allows us to take him out of continuity. So it starts out with the present day Tony Stark, and then goes back into back to our continuity, oh, the, the post-armor wars. Well, also we felt we wanted this. I was really doing this series for our readers, Dave and my readers, the ones who stuck with us, because you know everyone complains about the new Iron Man, whether they like it and like it, you know, or not. That's it's up for grabs. But I, I really felt uh, that we should do something that our fans wanted to see, and they, they don't really want to see this particular Tony Stark. So we, we really gave them a story, a series that was our Iron Man series. I mean, that's why I brought Rod Lemon because I mean he draws this stuff. I, I mean, it really gives you the whole feel of being back there. He's done, he's done a, a magnificent job. Very cool. I'm, I'm very excited to read that. When it's a fun I, story. When, I mean, whenever I see Iron Man, think Iron Man, I always see him. I always see him dr- drawn in my head the way you draw him, like on that, that sign on the wall right there. I always, that's the way I see him. That's the way I want to see him when I see him currently. You know, I, I gotta say that Marvel's starting to realize that too, and they've been very good about allowing people uh, to uh, have their own expression there. You know, that's why they realize there's room for more than one version of Iron Man up there, and, uh, and they've been really good about allowing us to do this, giving us a pretty much a free reign, you know, within those parameters. And with doing the end, that story takes place 50 years from now, so again, out of continuity because that hasn't been written yet, so yeah. we don't have to contend with that either. So either way, it, it worked out to our, our benefit. Well, that's, that's totally awesome. And what's your website? Oh, at www.boblayton.com. <laughs> it's, a, it's a free monthly website updated first every month. There's a brand new webcomic colony that's on there uh, I'm doing with Dick Giordano. We have videos, we have features, interviews, uh, art galleries, a never-before-seen art, uh, Iron Man concepts of the month, everything that, 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 every month, brand, all new material every month. You know, it's like I said, right now, we're currently getting over a half a million individual hits a month. It's probably one of the most popular comic websites out there. I recommend all your listeners to, to come and take a look. Drop me a line. We will put it on our show notes, and they will be able to get to it. Bob, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, guys. Appreciate your time. Thank you, sir. It's the end of the uh, end of the Saturday, or at the Comic Con, and we actually have some exciting news, right, Brad? Yeah, we're gonna have dinner with Bob Layton, uh, courtesy of June Bob. June Bob, how'd you score that? Uh, basically, Korean. <laughs> yeah, being Korean, it was a. I didn't know that he was a big fan of Korean food, so we kind of suckered him into uh, talking about that as, as he was ripping me a new one on my you know portfolio review. So basically, uh, in the end, yeah, you know, we got him talked into uh, going coming with us. And, and it turned out his assistant is Korean, so you had that in common. Yes, that is correct. Absolutely correct. Okay, well, this should be good, but we still, you know, I guess we're going to end the evening here. Oh. She is single, by the way, Frank, but however, you're going to have to compete for <laughs> if you're going to try 
had to go after her, you're going to have to compete with Ray Park. I know, Darth Maul. <laughs> I could take, I'm more charming than Ray Park. I'm way more charming than him. Snake eyes now. Yeah. Snake eyes. <laughs> I, I didn't see Ray Park this trip, but last year, uh, my daughter and I met him and talked to him, you know, a little bit, getting an autograph, pictures and stuff, and he was really, really nice. And his his um, panel that he did, mm-hmm. he was open to questions, and he actually, it was audience participation with him. He actually got like 15 people up there, and he taught them moves and stuff. It was Yeah, he was awesome. really into the, uh, into the, he was showing off the judo. I was there. That was a lot right. of fun. Yeah. Oh, I forgot you were there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess, I guess we'll wrap things up, but I guess we're for June. We'll see you later. Uh, Bob, say bye. 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 And Sean? Sean? Bye, everybody. Um, I guess it's a half hour wasted. We'll see you next week. Bob Heine's input on this show is, is what made it special. <laughs> two yeah. words. I yeah, two, two words. <laughs> Heine, bye. <laughs> and, oh, tomorrow's your, your son's birthday, right? Yes. Seven. Say seven, and we'll be celebrating at the comic convention here in Richardson, right. Texas. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. All right, we're out, guys. Take care. Bye. Bye.